Welcome to Winning Is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. You think I have a passion for youth sports? Well, you're gonna hear from a man who I consider the godfather of the movement to restore sanity back to youth sports. Stay tuned to find out who I'm talking about. TeamSnap is the presenting sponsor of the Winning Is Not Everything podcast. As you start thinking about your spring sports season, the TeamSnap app can help you spend more time focusing on coaching and less time worrying about the team management side of things. Even in this preseason time, coaches can use the app to start building relationships with players and parents through the messaging features. Plus, once your spring schedule's ready, put it on the app for parents to easily sync to their calendars. Download the TeamSnap app in your mobile app store or visit teamsnap.com winning for more information. The corporatization of youth sports happened while I was in my 20s, before I had children. I didn't really pay attention until my firstborn showed an interest in sports. That's when I saw the madness up close. The ranking of middle schoolers, the pressure to specialize, the desire to fly across the nation for a tournament for elementary schoolers. That wasn't my childhood sports experience, and I was desperate to find someone who could help me make sense of this wild landscape. In a 14-minute TED Talk, John O'Sullivan not only articulated some of the problems, but he did so with statistics and science. And though he painted an alarming picture, John offered hope for a better future for our sports-loving children. I know we're not there yet, but John is fighting the good fight and he remains one of the leaders that aims to reverse the trends in youth sports that uplift the handful of elites at the expense of an unfathomable and growing number of young athletes who are not. In part one of our talk, John O'Sullivan and I are going to talk about his childhood sports journey growing up on Long Island, the benefits in his life of being a late-blooming athlete, and the cost in the United States for rushing and scrambling to anoint superstar athletes early. Let's get to it. Well, I am so privileged to have as my guest today, John O'Sullivan, who, I mean, I've been following his stuff for years and years. He is absolutely one of the titans in this crazy world of youth sports. John, thank you so much for joining me as a guest today. Oh, it's great to be here. We, we just solved all the world's problems in 20 minutes before we hit record here. So I'm excited to see what we're going to talk about with the button on. <laughs> well, that sounds good, John. Well, John, I want to start as I usually do with my guests, and just to kind of go back and, you know, tell me a little bit about your favorite childhood sports-related memory growing up. Oh, man, that's a great question. You know, so I grew up in New York, and I'm 51 years old, so I was the typical kid then, which meant you played whatever sport was in season. You played with your friends. I was with, you know, from a small town on Long Island, you know, the fall soccer team, the teams would come out and you'd be like, oh, which one of my friends is on my team? And then, you know, basketball in the winter and I wrestled and then play baseball in the spring and you know all these things like, you know, you just did those sports. And so I don't know that I have this one childhood memory. I often think, though, of like one of my first coaches, he taught me to play soccer and golf. 
and he was a teacher and he just understood kids and what young kids needed. And the name was Tom Bright. And I just remember Tom, like always making it hard and always making it fun. Mm. And wow, forever grateful for him. You know, that for sure is like a person I can picture the gym. I can picture his booming voice calling me a pachyderm. <laughs> oh, it's a pachyderm. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that'd be it. But just, you know, I just never remember like pressure to you got to do this. You got to do like it was always I owned it. It was my wow. experience, my journey, my ownership, my joy and my drive of whether I wanted to do something or not. Yeah. And I can totally relate because I grew up on military bases and it was the same thing. I mean, there's, you know, there wasn't much to the sports options and you just roll of the dice and you played with who you played with. And I played multiple sports as well growing up. It was, it was nice not to have to worry about that. And probably some of my favorite memories were just playing pickup sports on base with my friends. And we would just call everybody and who was available. And those days that we had enough to actually have full court basketball games or a baseball game were, were the great days, right? Just when we actually had the numbers. And so, totally. And, and if you didn't, you just made it work. Absolutely. Now, you went on to play at a very high level, far higher than I played. And so you played in college, you were a member of a high level team. And when did you start thinking that college was an option for you? You know, how old were you when you thought, hey, you know what, I can actually play this sport beyond high school? I mean, it's, it's totally different than it is now for kids, right? Yeah. So you didn't have to think about it. You just played and you got better and you played with other players. And then you realize like, wow, they're pretty good and I can play with them. So maybe I'm pretty good and I can go do this. And so, I mean, certainly not until high school and certainly not until sort of probably before my senior year of high school was like, yeah, you know what? I think I want to try to play in college. And it was interesting because then I got a really bad injury. And was out for basically a year. And then at that point, it was like, do I love this enough to continue it at the college mm -hmm. level? And I did. And I found a, a school that would continue to give me a chance to come back from this injury. And so, you know, that's such a, it, it's so different now, you know, and then even when I was in my 20s, and I started coaching, I mean, I had a girl now woman, right, who was a youth national team player, who ended up committing to UConn for soccer in the fall of her senior year, October of her senior year. And everyone was like, you're so crazy. Why are you committing so early and everything like that? You know, and now, you know, it's just yeah. bonkers. So Dude. yeah. And it made sense because I got to grow and mature. I was a, I was a really late bloomer, mm -hmm. you know, I wrestled, you know, in middle school at eighth grade at 98 pounds and I was 165 when I graduated high school, you know? So like I grew a lot in high school and I needed that time. And I think so many kids now get missed because we're in such a hurry to identify talent. It's kind of a mess. Yeah. It's funny that I'm actually literally in the process of drafting kind of something for, you know, for my audience in terms of embracing the late bloomer mindset. You know, and, and I'm with you that we in youth sports, we as adults, and I know that there's so much symmetry for us on these beliefs, but we have kind of ruined the landscape where we are missing these kids. We're making 
youth sports such a mess that a lot of these kids who may be the late bloomers aren't even sticking around. And so we may be missing, you know, these incredible athletes. And, and I know I've seen Tom Brady talk about that, you know, years ago, how his parents approached his sports journey and how supportive they were, but that they would refuse to talk to any of his coaches. And in high school, he was surpassed by a different player and complained about it to his father. And his dad's like, well, you need to figure it out. <laughs> right? And in college, he was surpassed by other Absolutely. players and right. they figure it out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, but he had always said that I hope my kids are late bloomers. Yeah. There's yeah. something to be said about that, right? That really is. Because what do you develop if you're a late bloomer? Or, you know, if you're the third child and you've got older brothers and sisters, what do you do? You spend your whole life trying to keep up. So you develop that little scrappiness and the resilience and it doesn't come easy, right? You're not bigger, faster, stronger than everyone. So when you eventually grow and the physical things even out as much as they're going to even out, you have these character traits that are far greater determinants of long-term success than, you know, when you hit puberty. Yeah. Right. And our problem is we have a sports system. This isn't just the United States, but we have a sports system that is so focused on trying to identify, quote, talent younger and younger and younger that we have a system that overly identifies kids born within the first three months of your arbitrary calendar cutoff. Right. Called right. relative age. You know, and then we tend to label them as talented, even though they're just bigger, faster, stronger and older. Right. Mm -hmm. And a seven and eight, a nine year old. I mean, that's 15 percent of their life if they're born in January versus December. And so we have this massive issue. And then that early selection becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Right. Because once you're in the system, you're in. And once you're out, it's really hard to get back in. Mm -hmm. And we do this in schools. Right. We do doing talented and gifted programs in second grade, and this is a North American issue, where we know that we're just really identifying a lot of times the older kids. Yeah. And, you know, you've got great school systems like Finland or Norway, and they wait till 16, go figure. But I think one of those things is that one of our strengths and weaknesses in the United States of America is just the sheer number of people that we have. Right. Whereas countries, you're right. Finland is number one in the world right now in education. You know, and I think about like a country like Norway, right, where winter sports activities are basically free for anybody. And then they don't really start identifying until 14 or 15, I believe it is. Right. Which is really fascinating. Rates, their right. participation rates are in the 90 percent of the kids, charts. whereas here we're in the 30s. Yeah. Right. But again, that's sort of the plus and the minus of the United States of America. Why? Did we have such a dominant U.S. women's national team versus the men? Be one, because of Title IX, right? Because of our commitment as a country to the development of female athletes. But then two is just the sheer number, right? I mean, we, we can sit here and pour through many, many, you know, young, talented, fast, athletic girls to find the ones that actually have a little bit of skill. And then we were very fortunate as a country that Mia Hamm happened to just be a once-in-a-generational world talent who had everything, right? The athleticism, the intelligence, the skill, and then most importantly, just that mindset of just this refusal to lose. I think you said it best, right? Our greatest strength is all the numbers of athletes in so many sports. I think I saw something once that there's like more track and field athletes in American colleges and high schools than there are combined track and field athletes in the rest of the world or some crazy statistic like that, you know? And yeah, so it's like 
you know, Finland has a dozen eggs. They can't afford for one to break. And we've got a hen house. And so we don't really care how many break because as long as one doesn't break, we're fine. And it's a terrible human model. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a model that wastes lots of human talent. And it's sad. And so we look at the result of we won the gold medal or we won the World Cup or whatever it is, but the wastage along the way is is really sad. And let's face it, I mean, like Finland, right? 99% of kids are not elite level sports kids, oh. but providing a great athletic movement experience for children is and like one of the most important things we could do. And it's also why they're such a healthy nation, right? I mean, it's those exactly. things go... Those things go hand in hand. And, you know, obviously I put a lot of thought into naming this podcast, which is winning is not everything. And as you were just talking, it, it sort of brought to mind, like, you know, the U.S. women's gymnastics team, you know, obviously the Carolis led our country to incredible, unprecedented success. But now we're starting to see at what price did that come? At what cost? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it is something that we as a country are constantly wrestling with. And it's not even just in sports. And I think that's the sad part is you and I experienced sports when we were younger before it was corporatized. Mm-hmm. And For now, sure. like everything, you know, youth sports has been corporatized. Now, I want to sort of transition to something. What's something that you, as a middle schooler or high schooler, like struggled or wrestled with? What was something that was a challenge for you when you were younger? I mean, the first thought that just popped into my head was something we kind of already talked about, which was I was a late bloomer, Mm -hmm. right? So I was good, but I was never the best. Mm -hmm. And I kind of struggled to hang. And then especially in high school, you know, my first and second year, I just remember being stuck behind people who had full beards, you know, and, (laughs) and, uh, you know, I was this like skinny Irish guy and, you know, my dad was wonderful at that time, just saying, you know, he's a man and and you're a boy and you can't do anything about that, but Mm -hmm. what can you control? Wow. Right. Are you fit? You know, do you work on your touch? Are you a good teammate? Do you stay after? Are you respectful? Are you teachable? He's like, you own so many aspects of your development and you don't control when you're going to grow. But I guarantee you're going to grow, right? My dad was 6'2", 220 pounds, right? Like, wow. He's like, you're going to grow. And so when you do, if you have all these other tools, you're going to really blossom. And I think- That was an amazing thing. But I do remember that part of just being a late bloomer and and struggling with that just sports wise, but socially and emotionally and things like that as well. You know, it's, it's hard to be a late bloomer. Hey, this question just popped into my head. In today's youth sports landscape, based on your development, would you have made it to Fordham as a player? I, it's hard to say. Right. It's it's hard to say. I mean, it's really the question of would I have continued on up the ladder as a player? I wasn't identified when I was 10. So I just played on my town team. And then in, you know, middle school, you know, I went to a Catholic high school that was 40 minutes from my house. And so at that time, I switched to a different club team that was a, a better team. And then I switched to a better one. Right. So I grew 
along with my development and I had opportunities to work with good coaches and do good training. So I had access to good coaching and resources to continue getting better. Whereas a lot of kids don't. So, mm. you know, I don't know, but you know, there was a guy, a big U sports advocate. I don't know if you ever crossed paths with him and he just passed away about two years ago. His name was Bob Bigelow mm. and Bob was for the Boston area, grew up, played at Princeton first round NBA draft pick and then played in the NBA a couple of years. And, you know, he's a big guy, 6'5", 6'6". And he's like, the only reason I made my middle school basketball team was that they didn't allow cuts. I was the worst player. Yeah. Right. And if they had any cuts, I was the first one gone. And I was a first round NBA draft pick wow. in middle school. I couldn't make the team. Hmm. Right. So he would answer that question. No way. I'd have been out. Because I was some gangly, uncoordinated kid or whatever, yeah. you know. So I think there's a lot of people who made it to good levels of sport that wouldn't make it today. You know, my wife had the choice of playing softball or diving at Penn State and she chose diving. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 funny. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you can immediately get the latest episode. If you have any questions or comments, please visit my website, seankjensen.com and go to the contact page. Before I close though, my presenting sponsor, TeamSnap, and my video series, Model Student Athlete, are thrilled to present our Coach of the Month. We want to shine the spotlight on coaches in youth sports who are making a positive impact on young student athletes, and we want to recognize Haley Sveed, the Director of Operations for the Seton Hall Women's Soccer Team, a youth coach for STA in New Jersey, and an Olympic development coach of the 2010 Eastern New York Girls. Last year, she was named to the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 class. Congratulations, Haley. Last but not least, I want to thank my presenting sponsor, TeamSnap, the go-to app to help you have a successful spring sports season. Until next time, I'm Sean Jensen.